You can't read a page of the epistles in the New Testament without seeing the shadows of eternity there. We look for that day so that we can serve Him right now. And the hope of that day enables us. And that's all a part of the grace of God. The one who frees me is coming to get me. Does God's grace compel you to serve Him better and to anticipate your eternity with Him? Or has that word grace just become one of many spiritual words that surface in our lives from time to time? Welcome to Living a Legacy with Crawford Loretz. If you're new to our program, Crawford is a nationally known speaker and author with over 40 years of service in church and organizational ministry. He's authored such books as Leadership as an Identity, A Passionate Commitment, and Lessons from a Life Coach. He's also co-authored two books with his wife, Karen, Developing Character in Your Child and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. We're in a series of messages called Focused and Free, and it's based on the book of Titus. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul's challenge to Titus to seek godly leadership within the church. Today we'll hear the second half of Crawford's message titled The Power of Grace. Crawford defines grace as the unconditional, limitless love and kindness of God. Last week, we began to look at some of the primary features of God's grace. We got to the first one, His grace saves. Let's explore the others. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. The second compelling picture and feature of this powerful grace of God is that it trains us. It saves us, but number two, it trains us. Listen to these words. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is where I get the observation that grace is not passive. Grace is not passive. Grace is not passive. Grace is not permission. No, 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 no. Notice what it says. It, It trains us. And again, grammatically, the thesis statement, opening line of verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, dot, 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 training us. Grace trains us. This is remarkable to me. It trains us. The idea of training is to provide instruction with the intent of forming new habits of behavior. What he's saying here is that grace inspires holiness. Grace inspires, grace is not passive. Grace does not allow us to keep sinning and doing what we want to do and just sort of say, well, you know, God accepts me for who I am. That's okay. I can keep sleeping around. I can keep lying. I can keep cheating. I can keep doing all of this kind of thing because that's the grace of God. No, it's not. Grace is attached to his holiness. The reason why he poured out his love and kindness toward us is because his son took care of the sin problem. So you cannot one off grace from holiness. Grace is the motivation for our development. Now notice, grace drives us to make right decisions. So he says, what does it train us to do? It trains us, this is amazing to me, training us to renounce. Yes, grace trains us to renounce. A clear, strong rejection of ungodliness. We renounce it. But you see, grace has to do with motivation. Why do we renounce it? Well, we renounce it because of the goodness and the favor and the kindness of God. 
That's why we do it. Grace gives us a distaste for ungodliness. Because God himself has been so good to us. The kindness of God. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. The kindness of God creates a strong bond to God. Did you hear what I said? The kindness of God creates a strong bond to God. Let me give you a little illustration, a little homey illustration here. You all have heard me say this before about my mother. My mother, uh, you know, she, 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 you know she, 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 she had her faults and shortcomings, this kind of thing. She said, I want to present her as perfect. But my mother was the most grace-filled, merciful person I've ever met. That woman used to pray on her knees out loud. Out loud. Well, no silent prayer stuff going on with Sylvia. And uh, you don't know what, what that did to me and my sisters. You know what motivated me during my teen years? Now, I'm not saying that I never messed up. Uh, I did. <laughs> but what motivated me to not screw up too bad was I never wanted to hurt Sylvia. I never wanted to hurt her. It was her kindness and her graciousness. I didn't want to hurt her heart. So when Paul, now connect the dots, when Paul said, the grace of God has appeared to us, training us to renounce What he's saying is this, all of this great love, all of this great kindness towards you, all of this great forgiveness that you've experienced, all of this stuff that's been wiped away. Now, why? Tell me, why would you still want to lie? Why? Why would you still want to lust? Why would you still want to beat people up and dismiss them and be nasty and be jealous and to be competitive and to be? Why? Why? That's inconsistent to the kindness and the love of God. And so it teaches us. The motivation is not one of performance. I, I'm not trying to outdo you in holiness. I'm just trying to demonstrate to my great God how grateful I am for his grace. And so on one hand... It, 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 it teaches us to say no. On the other hand, it teaches us to say yes. Because grace frees us to say yes to self-control, to righteousness, to godliness, living here and now. It trains us to say yes to that. Why? Because I'm attached to the loving Heavenly Father who keeps lavishing mercy and grace and kindness and all of these things on my life. And I want to be like him, not to prove my worth, but to demonstrate my gratitude. And so I want to say yes to those characteristics of my tender, loving, heavenly father. I want to say yes, yes to those things that he wants demonstrated in my heart and life. So. The gospel of grace teaches people, in essence, how to live. It teaches us how to live. That's the summary of that second one.
So the first powerful picture and feature of this grace is that it saves us. Number two, it trains us. But thirdly, this same grace enables us. It enables us. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, again, connect the context here. Connect the context. He says we're, we're waiting for our blessed hope. Grace of God has brought salvation to all. The source of that salvation, the center focus of history is Jesus Christ himself. Full of grace and truth. And from him we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He's the focal point of our deliverance. He's the focal point of our hope. He's the focal point of our, he's everything to us. So right now, as we live this life, we're down here, we're in this grand parentheses between the moment we have given our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and that moment in which our blessed hope will appear. Our blessed hope, our glorious hope, the person of the Lord Jesus. It is looking for that day that enables us right now to live for him in this day. Did you hear what I said? Now, see, here's the problem. Here's the problem us preachers. We don't preach the, like this today. We, and, and I'm embarrassed about this because I'm as guilty as the next preacher. The problem with preaching today is that it is too terminal and contemporary. Did you hear what I just said? See, the New Testament preachers, they didn't preach like we preach today. They preached with eternity in view. It was the primary motivation for, for preaching in the New Testament. We, we, we want to tell you all how to resolve conflict, how to have, you know, manage your money and how to do these things. Are okay, they're fine. They're in the Bible, all right? And I, I, you know, but the primary motivation was, the primary motivation was he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. The blessed hope. And you can't read a page of the, the, the epistles in the New Testament without seeing the shadows of eternity there. We look for that day so that we can serve him right now. And the hope of that day enables us. We're waiting for it. And that's all a part of the grace of God. The one who frees me is coming to get me. The one who's changed me is coming for me. And I'm anticipating that. Again, this speaks of great, great gratitude, doesn't it? We just keep coming back to that. Great, great gratitude. I was thinking about this, and I remember years ago when Karen and I were staffed with Campus Crusade for Christ and Alcohol Crew, I was uh, doing this major project, this event that we did. We used to do these urban family conferences where we had to you know, raise a substantial sum of money to help with scholarships and things like that. And at the very beginning of, of, this, of this project that we're doing, uh, we needed to raise a considerable amount of money. And so... This is amazing. This guy, businessman in Texas, I had never met him in my life. I didn't know what he looked like. Uh, he was not in any event that I had spoken or anything. He heard from a friend who had a friend or whatever. He just read something about what we wanted to do. And it, and, it, and, it, and it grabbed his heart. And let's just say he gave an extraordinarily significant gift to make this happen. Sight and saying, I had never talked to him, I never saw him, this kind of thing. 
I was so overwhelmed with gratitude. I just couldn't wait to meet him. So I hopped on a plane and flew to Texas to the town where he lived. And the whole time, I'm just thinking about this. This is some incredible dude. I mean, thank God for raising him up. And uh, I was just excited to see him. And that's just like not even a slither of what we're talking about right now. Just think about it. The Jesus who forgave your sin and my sin. Who has taken away our guilt. Who has been answering our prayers down here. Who's healed our bodies. Who's intervened in our families. Who's broken the power of addiction in our lives. Who's done countless things. We're going to see him one day. Our eyes will behold him. And it's that vision, that reality, when the Bible calls it blessed hope, it's not talking about blessed speculation. When it talks about blessed hope, it's talking about a blessed confidence. That that literally is going to happen. And so it's with that clarity of vision, that clarity of that reality, that enables us right now to stay focused on who he wants us to be, how he wants us to live, and to demonstrate that hope and that grace, that grace to other, to other people. The grace of God enables us to live godly lives by a focus on the future because the one who we look forward to meeting is the one who gave himself for us and is the expression of God's loving kindness. The fourth portrait is that or feature of this wonderful, powerful grace is that it transforms us. And I suppose that's akin to the, to the third one, verse 13. But look at verse 14. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. If you write in your Bible, circulate, circle the word redeem. Redeem. This word translated redeem comes from an interesting Greek word uh, it, that means literally to set free by payment of a price. To set free, free by payment. It was it was used of it was used of someone who was coming to purchase slaves to set them free. Who would go into the marketplace and say, I want that one, 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 I want Crawford. I want Karen. I want that one. And I'll pay whatever price that needs to be paid. Jesus himself was the ransom, so to speak. He redeemed us from the path of destruction and control and sin. He purchased us. He purchased us. And why did he do it? So that we could be his trophies down here. We could represent who he lives. He does this because he wants us to be a people for his own possession. You're not owned by them. You're owned by me. 
But this owner right here won't abuse you, won't misuse you, won't mistreat you. This owner right here will lavish on you grace upon grace upon grace. He'll pour out kindness upon kindness upon kindness on your heart and life. And knowing what he has done for us and that he will return for us causes us to pay any price to bring our lives into conformity to his will. This is the reason why you got to be careful when you talk about grace. Grace is not, again, as I said, grace is not permission. And it is not passive. He purchased us so that we would do his will. That's the reason why in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, verse 2 says that, that uh, we, we're going to be in his presence one day. And when we see him, we're going to be like him. And then verse 3 says, hear me. It says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're going to be with him. And if that day we're going to be like him, we need to start working on being like him down here. But mind you, again, the context here is that grace is the motivation for that transformation. That's what drives us. Grace reforms us because God purifies us. Grace reforms us because God himself purifies us. And the fifth and the final portrait here of this wonderful, compelling, powerful grace of God is that it inspires us. That's the last line of verse 14. Let me just read verse 14 again. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. Here's the line, who are zealous for good works. People who understand and have tasted of the grace of God are motivated Christians. Did you hear what I just said? People, believers who have tasted of the grace of God are motivated believers. You, we cannot not be motivated if we understand the greatness of God's love for us. You can't even understand. I don't even know why I use that expression. If we begin to taste of the greatness of God's love for us. I encourage Christians, I know we quote uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 as we share our faith and we think about our great salvation, but I encourage us to quote verse 10 because that's the relationship between grace and zeal. What do you mean? Well, let me just quote the text here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And what he's saying is that there's motivation to do these good works because God has lavished his grace on us. We don't mail it in. We don't mail it in. We don't do C-minus stuff. We don't drag around in our service opportunities. Well, they want me to do this. That's right. But I think I need it. I'm so tired. I just give a little bit of this time. No. 
because we have been intoxicated with the mercies of God. It is a privilege to serve. It is a privilege. I've been set free. So what can I do to help somebody else? What can I do to demonstrate my gratitude for the grace of God? What can I do? It's not some legalistic anchor that I'm dragging. It's a statement of appreciation that I'm free. And so are you. So are you. Do you appreciate God's grace? I say this not to make anybody feel guilty. Not at all. Bible-believing Christians, some would call us evangelicals, And I'm not going to bite my tongue here. In recent years, some of us have become obnoxiously arrogant. Entitled. Proud of being right. Did you hear what I said? Proud of being right. And the sweetness of humility and the gratitude for grace you got to poke around to see if you can find it. We boast about our big churches. We boast about our wonderful programs. We boast about this and we boast about that. But where is the sweetness of the grace of God? Where's the bubbling up gratitude for what God has done for me? Where is the service that puts the spotlight on the old rugged cross. And I got to tell you, church, that's the beginning of our freedom. That's where freedom resides. When I can lay myself aside, lay my agenda aside, and understand that everything that I have in life is a gift from a gracious God every single thing and everything is to be dedicated to him as an act of service grace the unconditional limitless love and kindness of god toward us we don't deserve it and we should never take it for granted here are those features of god's grace once again his grace saves trains enables transforms and it inspires You've been listening to Living a Legacy with Crawford Loretz, The Power of Grace, the title of today's message. This is all part of Crawford's current series, Focused and Free, based on the book of Titus. If you missed out on this series up to this point, you can hear all previous messages on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org and look for the link, Past Programs, livingalegacy.org. By the way, those messages are also available to download for free. Take them with you in your audio player and listen when exercising, driving to work, or when working around the house. Look for the MP3 link to download to your audio device. Start with livingalegacy.org. Thanks for letting us know how God is using Crawford's teaching to help you grow in Christ. Take a few moments to email us at livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.